Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am delighted to be joined by the superb Hannah Awanuga. Now, Hannah is the Vice President of Global Diversity and Inclusion uh, for Barclays, a brand that I'm sure you all know very well indeed. Uh, she's also the founder of Rarity London, um, who focus on inclusion and development services. Now, Hannah has had a wealth of experience in a number of different areas, um, which we'll learn about later on in the show. She has been working for Barclays since she was 17 years old, and for the last 15 years has spent much of her time in both retail, banking, business, corporate uh, finances before transitioning uh, more latterly into diversity and inclusion, which is a subject she is immensely proud of. She's a certified career coach and spends much of her time outside work really supporting young female professionals grow and excel their careers. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leila. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. <laughs> I know last time we spoke, we were like, woohoo, getting all excited about lots of different things. So, so tell us, and for our listeners who perhaps don't know much about you as I do, how did you come to be where you are today? What is it that drives you and, and kind of makes you tick, so to speak? Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's a loaded question. <laughs> For me, if I go right back to the beginning of my journey, so I always say that I, you know, I started Barclays when I was 17, but I actually was in the bank before that. I worked at the Halifax when I was 16. I started my career in banking when I was 16. And coming from a lower socioeconomic background, coming from, you know, my parents worked multiple jobs, I knew that I wanted to get myself off into a career. College and university at the time wasn't for me. Circumstances didn't allow. So I really pushed myself to think, well, what could I do? How could I, you know, join an organisation that I could potentially stay with? So I joined Barclays back then, 2006 now, which is so creepy. <laughs> and I um, joined in the West End in a customer-facing role and worked in that type of retail space for a number of years. Um, and then I think the first time that I really took a deep look in my career was when I was making the decision to leave. I wanted to leave Barclays because I felt that I needed to go and get my degree. I was like, right, if I'm going to go, if I want to be successful, I'm going to need to go back to education. And luckily for me, the organisation actually has a degree programme. Um, we we're only second cohort, so it was quite a new initiative. But I was I was offered a place on the degree programme as on merit, based on the fact that I'd worked for the organisation four or five years before that. Um, so I did my degree with Barclays, a management and leadership degree. Um, and then I came off that degree into a branch manager role. And that's my first big type of leadership role. And I remember walking into the branch and thinking, oh my gosh, they've given all this responsibility to me. And it was the first time I really got to embrace, you know, leadership and people and development and inclusion. And I was working in East London, so it was a very diverse community. 
And so that was when I think my career started to take shape. And I always say to my, my colleagues, my friends, my clients that, you know, your career is about joining dots. And for me, I was starting to join the dots in terms of what I really enjoyed. I loved people. I loved speaking to people, learning about them, helping them on their career journeys. And so after that role, I became an area manager, um, looked after small business and moved into business banking. And then from there, um, I moved from being an area manager where I looked after 16 business managers across East London, so my first remote role, into our head office, which is in Canary Wharf. And that was very much a um, colleague experience role. So this was where I started to move into that strategic type of role where you're looking at the organization from a different lens you're looking at it not from the client lens but from a colleague lens and and we I worked on projects around empathy and empowerment and you know thinking about how do we ensure that our colleagues really felt like they belonged and they were empowered and then that role really started to take shape I really enjoyed it I started to see um, inclusion started to come out in different in different ways and really made me realize that that was where my passion lies And then I went on maternity leave, as you do. (laughs) And I went off maternity leave with my third child. I have three children. I have a a preteen who is 12 and an eight-year-old and my daughter is two. So you can imagine that lockdown has been fun for me. (laughs) Um, But I went on maternity leave. and, And I think when I first, when I was starting to think about returning, and, you know, this is what I always say, is that, you know, I didn't want the fact that I was on maternity leave to be a limiting factor. I didn't want it to to really hinder my career. So I I was very proactive around ensuring that I was keeping connection, you know, um, making sure I was speaking to my boss, looking out for opportunities. And then about three months before I was due to return, the um, global diversity and inclusion role came up. Um, and for me, that was a promoted role as well. So I was really, really, really eager to actually you know, go for the opportunity and see what would happen. Did I think that I would get it being on maternity leave? I think I had a bit of an old school mentality, which was, oh, I'm a woman and I've just had a baby, you know, no one's going to promote me. But I was successful. I was successful and they and they did promote me. And it was amazing that they waited for me to return from maternity leave. So they didn't even ask me to return early. And that was in 2019. And so I've been here ever since <laughs> and absolutely love it, you know, when a passion and a role comes together it just doesn't feel like work does it so for me that's just been amazing to move into DNI, and it's, it's just been a whirlwind so that was um that was a really quick whistle stop tour that was a little bit long but <laughs> I hope that was helpful. Hannah wow talk about a inspiration Everything that you've done um, and the drive and resilience that you have, I think, is something that's absolutely to be commended. And I think it's so incredibly poignant as well, given the fact that we've just had International Women's Day and this is very much a month about a celebration of female leaders and also, you know, looking almost at those complexities that make up the various different the different experiences that women actually have in the workplace and beyond. Listening to your story was so powerful because we heard not only 
social mobility aspect. Um, we hear the background as to the family aspect and the caring responsibilities and, you know, love to hear about your personal background as well and, and, and where you came from. In addition, because I know that you are incredibly proud about your heritage, which I think is something we absolutely should be celebrating during this, uh, this month of uh, gender championing and, and equality. But it makes me think of how rich the intersectionalities can be when it comes to what you describe and that is humanistic led leadership and the fact that you are not only through your work at Barclays but your work uh, with your own passion project and really seeing how you give voices to those who perhaps didn't have the confidence or the voice to really step up to the plate and so makes me excited because I just I can feel the tenacity and the deserved place as to where you are now in your career. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so interesting. You know, when I, I think like I've, I've been working on Rarity London for about four years now. And the reason why I started is because I felt that, you know, um, women, women from underrepresented groups, women from low socioeconomic backgrounds needed support in the working world. A support that was there, but not really there, right? It's on the portals, it's in the training material, but it really wasn't there from a career coaching perspective. It really wasn't there from a, I understand where you're coming from or where you've come from. And I understand that the world you're in is really difficult. So how are we going to navigate that, right? It was, and I, and I, I always tell, I'll just tell it a really quick story about a woman who really inspires me. So I've said that I started at the Halifax when I was 16. And I walked into that interview with, with a pair of jeans and a hooded top. I had no, nobody told me to go to an interview with a shirt and a tie, something, not a shirt and tie, but, you know, in a suit. Um, so actually I walked in there and the woman looked at me we interviewed and she then said to me, I am actually going to, you know, I am going to offer you the role. And, and what I would say to you is that when you go to interviews, you know, just get a white shirt and, and a pair of trousers. And for me, that was such an inspirational moment of a woman looking past what she can see to listen to what she can hear. And so that's why I do what I do. That is why it's so important for me to support you know, women, because actually sometimes you can see something that makes you judge. But if you just look beyond that, you know, there is, you know, there's real power in, in, in that and in supporting women in that way. So that's why it's really important for me. That's such a powerful, powerful story. And it's amazing how we remember so incredibly vividly mm -hmm. these early memories yeah. isn't it I mean I well, very briefly share here but I remember interviewing for a lot of the big blue chip organizations I interviewed for all of them and I got a good degree and I couldn't get into any of them and there was one I won't obviously mention name but there was one specific one and I remember interviewing and 
And the person who interviewed me was incredibly impressed by the CV um, because I got a first class honours degree and I got the highest mark in the year when it came to business and management studies. Yet I felt so small in that interview, so, so nervous, not the same as those who were my peers who had also applied. And, you know, kind of it just makes me feel and you remember, you know, they always say, you know, people remember how something made you feel, but they kind of don't necessarily remember what you said or what you did and those kind of things. But clearly the way this woman made you feel by looking through yeah. her what could have been biases yeah. actually allowed you as a talent to then grow thrive and yeah. be given that opportunity to really demonstrate what is now this phenomenal potential yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and that's why representation is really important right it's important to have people because that woman was a black woman so it was important, actually, because I then looked at her and, wow, you know, this black woman in a leadership position, um, you know, because all I've ever seen is cashiers and banking staff. So it was just, and, and she could understand. So it's that level of representation that allows you that empathy when you're looking at somebody in that lens. So, yeah, yeah, really powerful. Wow. I love that you shared that it was a black woman as well. I, I mean, again, you know, absolutely concur with what you're saying when it comes to representation. And it breaks my heart when I hear youngsters and, you know, back in the pre-COVID world, I call the PC world these days, mm-hmm. uh, would speak in, in schools for a brilliant charity called Working Options, which is about speaking in underrepresented areas often. And it would break my heart when I would hear the, the kids say, well, if I can't see it, then I can't be it. I know that not everyone necessarily thinks that way, right? But there are plenty that would do. And, you know, it makes me wonder, I'm I'm, I'm going to ask here, did you, when this woman in the senior leadership position who was a black woman, did it make you feel, hey, I can do that? Or is it just purely a, a coincidence? No, it absolutely made me feel that I can do that. Um, even at such a young age, you know, you, you know that what you just said is so powerful. If you don't see it, you don't believe that you can be it. And that's what I think about when people ask me what the challenges I've had in my career is that I didn't see people that looked like me. So that was an, always a limiting belief. But when I, when I met this woman and I, I sometimes kick myself that I don't have her surname to keep this story and you know me <laughs> yeah I think it made me think wow okay so we're not only cashiers right well, that's not the ceiling and so it was nice because then it meant that I had to take ownership of my career to then be able to be in that position which I was you know about five six years later Absolutely. And it's that psychological safety, which you're, which you're describing there, and I think is so incredibly important when it comes to speaking out and indeed choosing to challenge, which is ultimately the theme of, of this year's International Women's Day. And I think it's a, it's, it's a great one, actually. It's, of course, can be interpreted in many different ways. But how can we choose to challenge if we don't necessarily feel that psychological safety yeah 
yeah, really powerful, right? For me, when I think about psychological safety, it's about trust, right? You build that trust. For leaders, it's a bit difficult, you know, if, if you don't know somebody and you expect them to be able to open up, have you created that environment that allows them to open up, right? Have you created that safety, that safe space? And, you know, I also believe that, that it's not only black women or LGBT um, colleagues or, you know, women who need safe spaces. I actually think that it's also extremely important for our white colleagues to have safe spaces as well. Because actually, if we are expecting us all to go on a journey and we're expecting us all to open up and new ways of working and being inclusive and you know, asking questions, then we need to have a space where we can ask the silly questions, right? Where we can ask the questions that are coming from a place of ignorance, that's coming from a place of unknown or of, of beliefs. Or, you know, we need to create that safe space. And, and I think that, you know, it's not only underrepresented groups that need that safe space as well. I think, I think we all need that to be able to be vulnerable, to then be able to learn and grow. So I think it's so important to have that psychological safety. I absolutely concur. And I've, you know, I know I've mentioned to you previously, but I was adopted by amazing white British parents. And, you know, they come from a different a different generation of course and you know I think there is sometimes this fear of vilification for doing or saying the wrong thing and that doesn't necessarily come from a place of, of, of malice at all actually it is as you said it is just a genuine ignorant and curious question because none of us are going to get everything right all the time and I think it's an understanding that this is you know this is an evolutionary journey you know of diversity inclusion belonging uh, I like to say equity a lot now and equity over equality because it recognizes the fact that people come from um, or their start in life rather is different but uh, I, I, you know uh, as you say um, you know this this safe space and the opportunity to be able to ask these questions is absolutely key because you know me I'm a little bit dyslexic so I'm trying to find the words now here but it's almost a you know, preaching to the converted, how far will it get us? This yeah. is about absolutely everyone and bringing all to the parties, not just a, hey, you know, I'm a Chinese female or, hey, you're a black female. It is about so, so much more than that. Actually, you're also, you know, you're a parent, you have caring responsibilities, you know, and, and other uh, yeah. pieces which make up you as a human being. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. And talk to me a little bit about what you feel diversity and inclusion means means to you. I know it means lots of different things to different people. You know, certainly in, in, in your case, I think there are lots of, you know, it's like the, it's like a small borg of, of different, different facets. Um, and I love to ask this question because people say different things. It does mean different mm -hmm. things to different people. Um, you know, what does it mean to you? So for me, 
when I think about diversity, I'm thinking about people who come with difference, right? That we are, that I'm in an environment that people of all differences come, not just one facet, but actually, you know, as we think about LGBT, if we think about disability, if we think about gender, if we think about ethnic origin, we are all coming with something different. And so when you come to a problem with all of them differences, actually you get such a richness in terms of conversation, challenge, you know, actions. And so for me, diversity is making sure that we have everybody around that table. And I know there's so many different analogies about everyone at the party. And, but for me, it is just about ensuring that we have everyone around that table and actually actively saying, who is missing? Now, that's not to say that we need to go down a list of have we got every nationality and have we got every, have we got every orientation? That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, is that actually we need difference and we need to make sure that people who come from different backgrounds or who are, you know, who choose to be whoever they want to be, don't feel like they can't be in that room. That's what diversity means to me. And I think there's an onus on the leadership to make sure that they are looking around the table and thinking who is missing. Because it's not just about adding that person to numbers, it's about adding that person to get that richness of perspective. Um, because we all think differently. And our backgrounds and our and who we are as people actually make, you know, that dictates a lot about how we see things, the lens that we look at things. And so that's going to be different. Inclusion is making sure that when you get everyone around the table, that they have a voice. Um, inclusion is about making sure that people don't feel like they're just there, that they, but also that they can be there, um, their whole selves, and contribute. That is what inclusion means to me. Inclusion allows us to really, um, really embrace the changes that we want, embrace the difference that we've welcomed to the table. And then I'd add equity because, like, you know, you mentioned equity as well. And, and for me, when I think about equity and I think about inclusion and I think about equality, you know, them two terms, I know they're used, you know, interchangeably. But for me, equity is about being fair, right? And sometimes fair, fairness may mean that you have to treat someone better. And people don't understand that. But actually, we're not all starting from the same. We're not all starting from the same line. So equity is saying, I understand that you have a disadvantage. So in order for me to be fair, right, I need to make sure that we, we, we put something in place that's going to really elevate you. And that might just be to elevate you to get to the same line as everybody else. But for me, that's really important. It's important that we are fair. It's important that we're looking at people in the, unique, in the uniqueness that makes them them um, and not looking at us all from one lens. I couldn't have said it better myself, Hannah. I, at risk of saying I concur, I concur, I concur <laughs> with everything that you're saying. It makes perfect sense. And, and, and that is it. It's, you know, not being critical as to where people are, people not worrying about being vilified for saying the wrong mm -hmm. things, but actually really, truly trying to step into 
the skin of another. As uh, the famous quote goes in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, it is about getting inside someone else's skin and looking through that lens of where they are, because I simply could not understand your background. I am not a black female um, and I don't have the same experiences, but vice versa, you wouldn't have my experiences from being a Chinese female. It is a, how can we have that emotional intelligence, that empathy, as you say, to really being able to, to be able to consider things um, from someone else's point of view. And that is ultimately, it is conscious inclusion. It is, it is that consciousness of, as you say, who isn't here? Who might not be speaking up? Classically, it might have been the loudest person in that, in that room. Actually, what about the ones who aren't saying anything? Um, there's a statistic that I probably quote too much and it is something around the lines of and probably is changed now but it is that 30 percent is the figure in terms of time that those in a minority spend worrying about how to fit in and you add on the complexities of many things that we've been discussing you know from you know minority backgrounds from socio-economic, um, different socio-economic backgrounds and, um, you know, really driving forward, obviously, to positive um, mm. social mobility. But also looking at, um, you know, mental health, you know, and, and wellness and, um, you know, the visible and the invisible diversities. It becomes this kind of thick onion almost that suddenly you realize that the cards are so very stacked um, in certain favors than others. And, you know, I think when you, when, when, when the, you know, when there's almost that penny drop moment where people realize this um, and realize that, hey, you know, of course we want equality, of course, we do want equality in a fairer world, but the recognition, to your point, that individuals have different experiences and different starts in life. And all we are trying to do here is to level that playing field. It is, it is that very large penny drop moment often. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And because I could talk to you all day, Hannah, <laughs> I'm conscious of, of, of timings. I just wanted to to pick up very quickly on the fact that you recently joined the National Black Governors Network Board as a trustee. Um, so first of all, I commend you on that. That is wonderful. But I wonder whether you could just talk us a little bit more through um, before we go into our little lightning round at the end, some some key facets to what you have seen and, and, and kind of shout out to how others can support. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this was something that stemmed from the George Floyd's murder, the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, me just taking a deeper look into society, actually thinking about our education system, our youngest people, right, our people that are the leaders of the future. And I looked at the governing board in the UK, and it was something like over 90% of all governors are whites. And that just struck me, 
right? Because we have different communities. We have schools in different communities. And it just made me wonder about how we are in championing inclusion in the, in, in the education system. Um, and so I reached out to the Black Governors Association and, and asked to find out a little bit more about what they were doing. And I had just become a governor at, at um, my um, secondary college. So I was a new governor as well. And I wanted to find out actually what are we doing to increase the representation of our governing boards across the UK. Um, and so I joined the board and, and what, we, what we're looking at at the moment is how do we, you know, how do we reach out to black professionals to ask them to consider this as an opportunity to really make some real sustainable change, to be that voice around the table, to challenge when you're, you know, when you're thinking about schools. And I remember one of our fir my first conversations as a governor and, and um, the chair, you know, rightly said, you know, we teach all our, our kids to not see colour right? We're all the same. You know, we should just treat each other like humans. And, and I understand where that's coming from. And, you know, that's not a new terminology, but actually, please see me, <laughs> you know, like, I, I wouldn't want us to teach our kids not to see colour. I'd want us to teach us kids to embrace difference, embrace other people's colour, use it to have great conversations, to be inquisitive. Um, and so that's what's a real driver for me when it comes to being a governor and being on this board is just to really, um, you know, seek out other black professionals that are, you know, in great organisations that can really give back to our education system and into our schools. And, and, and the schools are doing some great stuff. I attended a race and education workshop that they're putting on for teachers and they're really trying to, they're changing the history curriculum, they're changing the English curriculum to include, to be more inclusive. And, and that's great. And I think having my voice around the table to say, what about this? What about that? You know, it's not only about American black history, it's about the British black history as well. It's equally important and a voice that's really needed around the table. So I would really encourage, you know, if any black professionals are listening that, you know, think about your local school and what you can do in that environment. Thanks so much for sharing, Hannah. And I, again, Completely agree. <laughs> surprise, surprise. This is about a starting younger as well. If we can influence positively the education system, how wonderful could things be? Mm -hmm. I remember being at school and, well, I suppose... I didn't really think about it that much at the time, but not seeing or hearing very much about, say, Chinese history yeah. and East Asian history, mm -hmm. it made me feel like I wanted to be white. Um, and then I had a <laughs> one of my, at risk of sounding like the, oh, my, 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 best friend who happens to be black and, and doing that thing but a a very dear friend of mine who I did grow up with you know I then wanted to be I wanted to be black when I was younger and she'd laugh at me for saying this but I was kind of like I wanted to be white I wanted to be black you know I wanted to be anything other wow. than what I actually was mm -hmm. and 
I, I think people don't, don't realise the impact of how it feels not actually seeing or hearing the truth of the background and how we collectively, not just us as an individual, but how collectively we came to be where we are today. Yeah. And I... I think the work that you're doing as a governor and in your work to support those future generations of leaders is absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, before we run out of time, I must ask you a couple of lightning round questions. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to answer each one because otherwise you and I will end up spilling over as yeah. per usual. And so hardest question first, and that is, what is your secret to success? Um, secret to success is passion and drive. Wanting to be more um, than I was the day before and striving to you know, be a role model to my children. And what about any um, specific kind of advice that you might give if you could go back in time and kind of rewind to uh, the, uh, the the young Hannah in in the hoodie and in the jeans, kind of mm -hmm. asking for her job. You know, what what advice might you give to your younger younger self, or indeed someone else who might be listening in and is in a very similar situation, but really wants to make it up to the top? Um, so my advice would be be intentional. Um, really think about what is it that you want to do and go for it. Um, also surround yourself with mentors and sponsors and people who can, you know, correct you when you're wrong, but then also, you know, really push you further than you, than you think you can go. And, and I think that would be, that would also be my advice. And also be awesome. <laughs> you know, like don't be afraid to be yourself. Don't be afraid to be who you are. Um, so yeah, that would be my advice. And finally, who's inspired you most throughout your career or indeed your life? And I know perhaps it's a hard one because there could be many. Yeah, there are, there are many. So, you know, the lady that gave me my first opportunity will always be really close to my heart in terms of, you know, not only what she did for me, but what she what she actually taught me and what she, that I've learned now from that experience. Um, but there are some women, you know, in, in the workplace. I'm currently following um, the Zone of St. John, you know, Chief Marketing Officer of Netflix, who's so powerful, so fierce, so intentional. Um, and I just think she just helped me represent, she just helps me show up, right? She helped me realise that I should just be me and show up as me in all that makes me me. So yeah, I'm following her at the moment. She's really inspiring. She is absolutely awesome, as is Vernon Myers. Yeah. They are forced to be reckoned with, Yeah, forced to be reckoned with. Absolutely. And the 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 money and the intentional pounds slash dollars that are being spent within that organization for communities um, that so desperately need and want to see themselves represented is 
Excellent. Absolutely excellent. And so conscious of timing here, and I always give a summary at the end, as you know, Hannah, because I know you do uh, listen to the podcast. And I'm now thinking, hmm, how do I summarize what has been such rich and fruitful conversation? I'm going to pull out literally a couple of highlights for our audience. But I would say, you know, during this, this month and during what we see as choose to challenge being being almost the headline of International Women's Day and month, because it shouldn't ultimately be just a day or a moment in time. I would say that some of the things that really resonated with me, other than everything (laughs) from today, are really tapping into the education, looking at the importance of representation, looking at our leaders of the future, who, how, and why, and what do we want them to be? And how do we want them to show up? If we don't start at the grassroots level, then we cannot impact positively the shape of the future, as Hannah has has said. Um, When it comes to being inquisitive on the theme of choosing to challenge, now is the time to really embrace that difference and that uniqueness. Sending the lift back down and giving opportunities to others is absolutely critical. Um, No point in in making it up to the top and then holding that power. Actually, it's about supporting those future generations of leaders. And what I love about the conversation uh, with Hannah is the fact that she has demonstrated one, how she can support others and help lift them up to where they ought to be, but two, the humility from early on in her career, recognizing, remembering, and appreciating um, the woman that helped her step up to the plate. It's, you know, a powerful story and which uh, one in which I'm sure many of us can can relate to. As you were telling that story, Hannah, I was thinking um, in my own mind, those people that I am truly grateful to who have given me the opportunity. And I'm sure it's very much the same for, for many um, who are tuning in today. And, you know, finally, the power of intersectionality, um, not just looking purely at what is on the outside um, and seeing a a black female, um, but also seeing a black British female from Nigerian descent who is a millennial, who is someone that has three children, that is someone who has made it to phenomenal places in terms of her career and is now driving with passion and vigor to change the face of business and wider society. Um, So thank you ever so much for for being here uh, today, Hannah. It's been brilliant and I am very close to running out of time. We've done it again. Uh, Thank you. No problem, no problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. You're so welcome. My name is Leila McKenzie Dallas. I'm the uh, the founder and CEO of Dial Global. Uh, you can check out all of the show notes online at www.dialglobal.org. You've been listening to the superb Hannah Awanuga. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. We'll put all of the details into the notes. So if you're worrying that you've missed anything, don't worry. It will be there um, for you uh, to check out at your leisure later on. In the meanwhile, we'll look forward to seeing you very soon. 
but take care and thanks so much for listening until then. <laughs>